The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive ye, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not. Go your ways out into the streets on the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Things were no better for Jesus and his disciples. We think we have it unusually rough due to inflation or a rise in crime or the social glue disintegrating before our very eyes. But Jesus and his disciples, especially as his ministry and life were coming to a close, were not living in a time of of ease either. Far from it. There certainly was more poverty then than most of us ever experience. Crime must have been somewhat pervasive, When Jesus tells the parable, and yes, it's only a parable of the Good Samaritan, it is the story of a robber on highways, a not uncommon occurrence. None of Jesus' political or religious leaders were trustworthy, or few of them were. The Romans taxed and, as you may know, crucified their subjects with impunity. 
True, some Roman citizens would have had uh, some significant rights, but those conquered by the Romans did not. And Jesus' religious leaders conspired to kill him, even though he was uh, found guilty of no crime. No one would have blamed Jesus for quitting, you know, just giving up. Well, guys, it's been a good run. We cured many diseases, performed a lot of amazing miracles. We preached about the beauty and the wonder of the kingdom of God. But let's face it, we can't win. Spies have infiltrated our camp. The Pharisees are planning new ways to entrap me every day. It's the deep state, people. So let's just protect what we have accomplished so far. Let's just ride this thing out. Let's hope that no one bothers us anymore. Yes, if Jesus had taken the withdrawal option, the prevent defense option, the run out the clock option, no one really could have blamed him. He was against mighty powers after all. So is that what he did? Well, no. We see in our gospel this morning, he took 70 of those following him, 70 of his disciples, and he sent them out. Two by two. Now, I'm not very good at math, but I think that would have been into 35 cities, assuming they only went to one city. But Jesus seems to have had a map, right? He said, this is where I'm going to be going. Uh, We already heard before in Luke that he had set his face to Jerusalem. So he was on to the last week of his life eventually. This is probably near the end of his ministry. So he's got a, a, a course, Right, these are the cities I'm going to go into on the way to Jerusalem. And I want you to go proclaim the message of the kingdom of God until it can't be done anymore. Of course, the day when Jesus' kingdom can never be proclaimed anymore has never come. Even in uh, environments that are very hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel has always been proclaimed and shared using secret channels of communication or underground house churches or networks undetected by tyrants. But what did these 70 do exactly? Well, like John the Baptist, they prepared the way of the Lord. They would preach and teach about how God had broken into the world, how Jesus was the Messiah, how prophecy had been and was being fulfilled in their very midst. They were uh, not really sent out to be nice or pleasant per se. Jesus has this strange command to greet no one on the road. Uh, I think that's because the old customs would have been if you made eye contact and began a greeting with someone, there was an elaborate ritual of respect that you would have had to have shown. It would have been sort of, you know, pretentious, would have taken a lot of time. And Jesus says, no, 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 we're not, we're not here for, you know, pomp and circumstance. We've got work to do, people. Uh, they're sent out, Jesus says, as sheep among wolves. Thanks a lot, Jesus. At least he was honest. Uh, and success is not guaranteed. You might go into a town, you may find a son of peace, they may hear what you have to say, stay with them, eat their food, drink their drink. But then there would be those who did not want to hear what you had to say, 
and even the dust on the sandals of that town was unworthy of your feet. So shake it off and move on. But I will admit that I am a little torn as to exactly how we are to proceed with our Christian message in the time in which we find ourselves, a time which might be considered somewhat hostile. And at the same time, I am hopeful that we are starting to see some signs of success of our Christian witness and evangelism. Several years ago, journalist uh, and now Christian writer and thinker Rod Dreher wrote a book, you may have heard of it, called The Benedict Option. It was a pretty big seller. While it was not a full-on admonition to desert the world, it was at least the belief that Christians would need to, in this age, withdraw from some elements of the world while building stronger and more intentional communities for the purpose of later re-engagement when the world would be more open to what we have to say. You know, perhaps after a nuclear winter or the zombie apocalypse. I mean, something to really wake up the minds of secularists. The Benedict Option is named, of course, after the world's most famous monk, Benedict of Nursia. He founded 12 monastic communities in the mountains of Italy, and his rule would go on to be kind of the foundational rule for all the other monastic communities that would flourish for the next thousand years or so. Uh, at one point, Europe, uh, during Luther's day, I, I've read anyway that about a quarter of the population was monastic, so Luther's choice to go into a monastery wasn't that uncommon. And so Benedict was highly successful, you might say. This was no small achievement. These communities would lead pretty, uh, you know, independent, self-sufficient lives. They were removed from the cities and the affairs of the world. At least that was the idea. Let's not be poisoned by the cities of the world. And again, as the uh, order that the Roman Empire had provided, as it fell apart in whatever, 4th, 5th, 6th centuries, and actual barbarians, not just, you know, a name we give to people who are crude, but actual barbarians were, you know, running wild, the impulse to retreat was somewhat understandable. But the cities definitely lost something with that retreat, and in time, the monasteries were not themselves free from corruption. Monastic communities, after all, were not full of perfect men and women, uh, but rather they became part of an unjust system of simony and indulgences. And because they were gifted over time huge swaths of land and artistic treasures, the monasteries actually became extremely wealthy. Later monastic uh, communities would be reform movements like the Franciscans against the Benedicts uh, and, and so on and so forth. Abbots became very powerful. And so, you know, the very thing that they had kind of hoped to avoid eventually would ensnare those communities as well, which is my way of saying I'm not sure that ultimately that's a good option. Uh, sin sort of follows us wherever we go and the cities need us. 
So all withdrawal would really accomplish in our own day as well would just be to empower those non-Christian voices who would like to gain more and more say. Waiting for the world to blow up so that we can finally start from scratch is a fantasy and a dangerous one at that. And it is not what our Lord did. He sent out his disciples into communities, not expecting some 100% success rate. It's built right into the text. Hey, some people aren't going to like what you have to say, so you shake your sandals off and you move on. But rather, it is to offer those towns the opportunity to come near to God's kingdom. Success was not really the goal, but faithfulness was. Engagement was. And maybe, just maybe, there are some signs of hope in our own day. I think for many, many years, Christians in the West really just sort of assumed that everyone agreed with them. We didn't have to sort of argue or fight for why we believe what we believe. We were the dominant cultural foundation for centuries after all. But over time, first far off in that place we call the academy, and then in the arts at the high level and then the popular level, and then finally even in the church, I would argue that true Christianity became the minority view. Those who opposed Christianity could only do so whispering at first, but soon they were able to shout their joy at the death of Christianity. There were many signals that they had won, or at least, say, become the majority. Maybe the single greatest testimony to human autonomy and the public defeat of Christian values was the Roe v. Wade decision. It was a culmination of many other ideas that had won the day in previous decades. But really, this was all about man planting his flag and saying to God, you can't tell me what to do. Yes, he can. That was a declaration of hostility that naturally flowed to every other area of life. And now, in our own day, bodily autonomy is so radical that all of us must agree with someone's assessment of their own biology. What we believe about reality now defines everyone else's reality too. Far from this being God's world and us just living in it, which is kind of how I see things, we are now dictating the terms of God's world back to him. But maybe we have finally reached the zenith of this human experiment. Maybe the utter futility of rebellion against God has been demonstrated. Perhaps the defense of the indefensible will soon become a memory. Perhaps cooler heads, heads open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, will emerge. Perhaps Christians who took for granted the Christian nature of their world will realize 
that like those disciples who went into those towns two by two and said, the gospel is here, we will need to do the same. And this is how the gospel applies to everyday life. It applies here and here and here besides. Now that work will take decades to rebuild a society that actually treasures the things that we took for granted, life, liberty, it's July 4th tomorrow, the pursuit of happiness, the free pursuit of happiness, virtue, and I would argue even reality itself, a shared understanding of what was real. But I am hopeful that the futility of ignoring God's law is closer and closer to being demonstrated to the world. And the church will see the urgent need not to withdraw, but to go into the cities and towns and contend for the truth. Now, what that might look like for each and every Christian will be different to their circumstance and their context. It will probably at least mean more civic engagement in local politics, in schools, in clubs, in sports, and of course, in churches. But in going, we are showing that the kingdom of God is near to them too, that we are a people who are uniquely hopeful, and that we do not and we have not been defeated by any force of darkness. We will be there to show them a still better way. That is, if and when we go and we do not retreat. Amen.